This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. First week of the year, we're going to look at something slightly different, just to give a projection of where we would like to head in the coming year. Now, 1st of January is really kind of an interesting time, isn't it? Depends on how is the state of your mind or your house. Some people say, I want to get my house clean up before uh, the first day of the year, and now our house still looks like December. Um, some of us hope that we have a New Year resolution planned out, but yesterday's celebration was too long, so we probably have to do it um, this week. But 1st of January is kind of a really interesting crossover between the year that has passed and the year that is coming ahead of us. We've kind of haven't fully put away the challenges that we've experienced in 2016. But our feet are already standing in 2017, and we are called to look ahead and to think what is in store for us. So this afternoon, what we want to do is to do a little bit of a crossover to look back at what had happened in the past that have so secured our future, and then looking ahead into our future and to be assured of how our future should look like, regardless of what we read in the newspaper. So let me just uh, begin this time by praying to God or talking to God uh, together that He will help us to do this huge task. Will you um, speak to God with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the year that's just passed and please prepare us for the year ahead. Give us eyes that can see, ears that can hear, minds that can understand and hearts that will be strengthened to obey you through your Holy Spirit. For Christ's glory we pray. Amen. Uh, it would be great if you keep your passage going. It's a short passage, but with plenty of things to look at. So if you keep the passage open, let me begin by looking at the, the first, first word, in fact, of the passage. Today's passage begins with the words, Therefore, brothers and sisters, which suggests that the author has already spoken quite a fair bit before we reach today's passage. And he says, Therefore, Okay, so let me just give us a brief background of what the author has been uh, telling us before the beginning of today's passage or what the therefore actually refers to. So if you just journey with me a little bit, um, this is written in this letter of Hebrews written in the first century. It's written to kind of a group of Jewish Christians. They are Jews from Judaism, but they have come to know Jesus and they have put their trust in Jesus, and the author writes to remind this, this group of Jewish Christians to reaffirm them of the truth that they have believed in Jesus. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's word and God's promises. And the author explains that actually, you know what? Jesus is superior to angels. Jesus is actually better than the law. Jesus is Greater than the great Moses that you believe in, Jesus is better than the high priest, the religious people that you, you uh, depend on. Jesus is better than the animal sacrifice that you hope God will use to remove the guilt in your life, your rebellion against God, the offense you have done to others. The author writes all this and says, you know what? All this are merely a shadow that points to Jesus because Jesus is the real deal. 
all that you have seen, the goodness God has given to you, to be able to see angels talking to you, to have sacrificed your greatly, these are just shadows that point to the real deal, to Jesus. For you know what? For a long time, right? What happens in in the Jewish culture and the Jewish history is this: they will actually depend on kind of sacrifice and offerings. I don't know if you, you if you see this. We, we see that in other religions as well. Um, but for the Jews, they they have a specific law. They they offer sacrifices and offerings to pay for the price of the rebellion against God, against the wrongs they committed to others. But here's the reality. The reality is this. However many animals that you burn to sacrifice, they can never pay for the debt that we owe. No matter how many animals you burn, they can never take away the cost and the consequence of our rebellion against God, our wrongs against people, and our harm even to ourselves. This can never remove until the first Christmas which uh, we celebrated last week, when Jesus came at his birth, he prepared himself to be that perfect sacrifice. And then at the first Easter, which we'll soon celebrate uh, in a few months' time, is the moment where he gave up his body as a sacrifice, such that it is sufficient and possible to remove all the offense and all the consequence and all the price that we have to pay for all the rebellion against God, all our wrongs against others, all the thoughts, the desires, the things that we have done in our life that we will never want to be on the big screen. So by Jesus' death, all these things were sorted out. All our sins. And just before today's passage, the, the writer of Hebrews says this, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. We are made Holy, we are made pure by the only sacrifice that actually works. So this is the background before we come to today's passage where Hebrews 10 verse 19 to 21 call us to look at. So let me begin uh, looking at 19 to 21 as it reveals to us that God, in so doing through Jesus, He has actually started to give us two gifts that no one else can give. Let me read this to us. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. You know what? By the death and then by the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is going to lavish two gifts to all who comes to Him. Two gifts that no one else could ever give. Look at the first gift. Look at 19 to 20. The first gift that Jesus would lavish on us is this. We can have access to God. We can have access to God. Look around the world. See if anyone offers this to you. But this is what Jesus offers at his death. He says, I give you access to God. Look at verse 19 to 20. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, which is God's presence, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body. You know, in the old system, you have the high priest of Israel who could once a year, he'll go into this kind of sanctuary, and then there's this big curtain uh, before they can open up and enter so-called a place called Holies of Holies that represents God. Once a year, he will enter in for a short moment 
and never without blood because the consequence of wrongs is death. So he has to have blood with him and once they go in and you plead that God will forgive man. But on the day when Jesus died, he was that curtain that tore open the division between man and God and those who come with the blood of Jesus walks in to access God. That's the first gift that Jesus offers that the world can never. The second gift that Jesus offers is this. If you look at the next one, is that we have an advocate to speak to God on our behalf. Look at verse 21. Since we have a great priest over the house of God. You know what? In the, in the past, right, what humans try to access God is they hope to find a mediator, someone who can kind of stand between the living and the and God, right? And uh, for the Jewish people at the time, they have the high priest who is kind of their advocate uh, to God um, by sacrifice and hopefully that God will listen favorably to them. But when Jesus, he rose from the dead and he went and ascended and sit at the sit at the right hand of God, he became the advocate that's next to God that speaks favorably for us to God. So that's something that the world has never been able to offer. But when Jesus died and then he rose and then he ascended next to God, he has offered to us. Access to God. Listen to how Christians pray, right? Dear God, dear Heavenly Father, you there when you're on the bed. It is never done this way. Okay? People always go in the presence of God with trembling, not knowing if they're going to live or they'll die. But this has become a common. Christians pray to God wherever they are. I'm not going to list out all the places that you pray to God. But um, you, you talk to God, isn't it? And then you have an advocate who is next to God who speaks favorably about us. So these are the two crucial gifts that Christ or Jesus has given to us and we must remember and have confidence in them because by the death of Jesus we access God by His resurrection and ascension we have Him as the advocate. So why does the author of Hebrews talk about this to the first century listeners? Why does he ask them to remember what Jesus had done for them? Why did he ask them to look back to see what Jesus has done? The reason is this. Because this truth is going to be the source and the motivation for the Jewish Christians to answer all the why questions in their lives. I don't know if you have why questions in your life. The wise question in life, why should they not return to the past way of life? Why should they not follow the world? Why should they persevere in the face of persecution? Why should they live in confidence when the world is not confident? Why should they draw near to God? Why should they hold unswervingly to a hope when the world doesn't promise hope? Why should they encourage each other to love when the world says, you better take care of yourself? Because... They have been rescued by Jesus because they have access to God, because they have an advocate in the presence of God, because they have all this, and that God has promised that, you know what, you have eternal life when I come back for you. And because of that, the past way of life do not make sense to the Jewish Christians anymore. It makes no sense for them to go back to their past because the way of life ahead is full of light, full of hope, full of security, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the neighboring people and what they are saying. Now we come back to ourselves. Why did the author of Hebrew 
want us to remember what Jesus has done for us. Why do we come back to this on, 20, on the 1st of January 2017? Because the truth apply to us that as we look back, we see the reason, the source, the motivation for us to look ahead as we face the why questions in our lives. When we struggle and we say, ah, why should I live um, this way and not the past? Why should I um, not respond to the currents of the world? Why should we face persecution with hope? Why should we live in confidence when the newspaper tells us there's nothing confident in the, ahead of you? Why should we hope? Why should we spur one another? Because we too have received what Jesus has promised access to God and advocate with God on our behalf and the promise of eternal life and to be with Him regardless of situations. You know what? Regardless whether it's raining or not, regardless whether the newspaper today is going to come out and say, you know, it's, um, one of the presidents might just make something, make a certain comment that we must get ready to be recalled or mobilization for army. What, whatever the newspaper comes on, the Bible tells us that you have light, you have hope, you have security because it's regardless of everything else. So as we look at the past of what Jesus has secured for us is when we can look to the future in 2017 and what is ahead of us. And that's exactly what the author wants us to look at. Three things he has for us to respond in the future, in fact, ahead of us. They are from 22 to 25. Uh, there are three um, quite repeated words. The first 22, it says, Let us draw near. Verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly. And verse 24, Let us consider. Let us, let us, let us. There's these three kind of instructions because of what we have in Jesus. And this is where uh, we'll look at it together and see how he asks us, including himself, to exercise kind of our faith to hold firmly to our hope and to, and to reflect love and good deeds. So let's look at these three um, response that we are called to have collectively as um, 4 p.m. people. So let's look at each of these three and see how we can apply it practically as well as to understand what it's trying to say. The first one is uh, in verse 22, to uh, cause to draw near to God in faith. Let me just read verse 22 for us again. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Let us draw near to God. That is a call that we can have confidently. We are called to draw near to God. The question is, how do we draw near to God? He gives these two things. With a sincere heart and with full assurance for us to have faith to draw near to God, we need to have a sincere heart. What's a sincere heart? It's basically um, a heart that is full allegiance to God, that He is the only God. There's no other God plus something. There's no uh, plus in the equation of sincerity. There's no God plus money, God plus career, God plus benefits. in sincerity because He's the only God. Imagine me, this thing, right? Imagine there's this um, handsome guy who calls three ladies and say, would you like to be my girlfriend? How sincere do you think that is? Well, he looks great, but how sincere is that? 
or people coming to you and uh, speaks well about you because they needed benefits, but when they don't, they kind of curse you behind your back at work or colleagues, or the shop attendant that give you the biggest smile in Hong Kong or, or somewhere else. But then when you walk away not wanting to buy, they start talking to you in Cantonese in a very loud voice that you understand too well what they are trying to say to you. So to draw near to God, we must do that with a sincere heart. That is, we come to God because He is God. Not because He's a genie, not because He's a money tree, not because He's an insurance that you put with all the other gods that you are worshipping as well. So, faith calls us that we are to draw near to God in our lives with sincerity. And the second one is when we have, when we come and draw near to God, we come with full assurance, with confidence uh, that we can draw near to Him, not with doubt, not with double-mindedness. And faith calls us to put our total trust that we come to God and we can access God and He will draw near to us. We don't come in arrogance or self-achievement, but because of what Jesus had done when He died on the cross for us. So in 2017 and beyond, I think this is a great encouragement for us to draw near to God with sincere heart, with full assurance. In fact, let us help each other by speaking the gospel into each other's life, whether it's on Sunday's conversation that we will have after this, whether it's Bible study group or one-to-one Bible reading catch-up, that we can pray and we can encourage each other. Because this is the differentiating factor of a Christian gathering or Christian fellowship to all others, that you can gather and you can encourage each other to draw near to God. To draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance. Now, the second the second exaltation that he has for us is found in the next verse, verse 23. Let me look at it with us. That The author says, Let us hold firmly to the hope we profess. It says, verse 23, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now how do we actually understand this verse as you look at it with me carefully? We need to recognize that hope Anybody knows hope? Hope is actually not a subjective feeling. That kind of you feel a bit jittery and you're trying to get some feeling that to be hopeful about. But hope is actually an objective truth. Let me say it again. Hope is actually an objective truth that is dependable because it's spoke by someone who can make it happen. Hope is an objective truth based on God's word because if he says it, he'll make it happen. We do not just let float, hope float around and kind of when you need hope, you kind of try to find it and then it doesn't look very hopeful. But hope is something that is based on the objective truth of God's word. Let me illustrate with this, right? You know, it's, it's not of much value. Let's say, Andrew, right, I took out my checkbook, I write you a hundred million dollar check to you. Ben, this is for you. And Ben said, yeah, right, Strader. <laughs> but imagine, Warren Buffett, or Bill Gates come and say, um, actually, 100 million American dollars and hand it to you. What will you do? Will you go and shred it? How many zeros is 100 million? Anybody who's good with maths? 100 million, how many zeros is that? Eight zeros. Well, it's less than 0.2% of either of their assets. No, 0.2%, less than 0.2%. He says, he writes this check to you, he walks away, you're going to say, oh, not sincere. What are you going to do? You're going to hold on to this check 
and for your dear life, make it to the bank in one piece. You're not going to walk halfway, hey, Pokemon, put your bag there, go and catch Pokemon Go. It's not going to walk halfway and say, hey, can I trade that with you with a kind of a promotion code for Food Panda? It kind of expired. You're not going to do it. It's like, you guys are crazy. I'm going to cling on to it. I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to stop and even have lunch. I'm going to get to the bank, check it in. Because that is life changing. What more is this when God writes this for us? The God of heaven and earth who has created all that existed before us and after us, who has been faithful to all that He has promised, even in giving His own Son, Jesus, and He promised this, If you come to My Son, I'll give you My inheritance. You have eternal life. You enter the kingdom of heaven. That is what God promised in Jesus. And the Bible and the author tells us, let us hold unswervingly to this hope that we profess because He is faithful. So as we step into 2017, I think the encouragement is to let us hold unswervingly to this hope that we first have when we first become a Christian, the forgiveness of sin, the relationship with God, access to God as our Father, advocate in, on behalf of us next to God and He will come back to draw us to Himself. That is our hope. Let me give you some illustration how this will actually work out in our everyday lives. Now what can we do? Let's say if you hear a Christian or hear your own self, a brother and sister speaking kind of obsessively about achievements, about fame, about money, about possession. Now whatever they talk about, you, ah, that car, ah, that job. You know, in that conversation, everything slips out. What will we do? I think with wisdom and with empathy, we should speak of how God's promise of eternal life, you know what? That is great, but God's promise is more glorious. Don't trade it. God's promise of eternal life is more glorious. We hold on to our hope. We don't trade it for something that's not worth it. What about if we hear someone who is struggling with sin? What if someone is struggling with sin? All of us do, but when we hear of someone who struggles with sin, with sin, I think with love for a brother or sister, we can speak of the hope we have that God's promise is better than the promises that sin offers to us. Because sin, what sin does or temptation does is offer you something. But what Christians we can do is, let's look at what the Bible says. God is offering us something much better. And let the glory and the greater promise of God win us over to Him. Draw each other back to the forgiveness that we need if we fall uh, into sin. You know what? The devil is good. He's good at tempting you. But when you fall, he's the next person to accuse you. So he's both a tempter and accuser. But God's word helps us that when the tempter comes, we say God has a better promise. Or when we fall, God is a forgiving God. When you come back to Jesus, we can speak the gospel into our lives so that we hold on to the hope that we profess. What if we know of someone who's fighting with serious illness, with depression, with unwanted desires? Some of these things don't go away. What do we say? I think be a good brother or sister. Draw each other back to the hope we have in Jesus. You know, a, a dying a Christian man from a decay and from illness once said this, right? I, I might 
It might, it might have been used in various occasions. But this man says this, you know what? There's nothing that a good resurrection cannot fix. There's nothing that a good resurrection cannot fix. So it is worth fighting when it's tough, even when it doesn't seem like it's going to be easy, even when it seems that it's not going to go away anytime soon. We can fight with hope because there's nothing that a good resurrection will not fix because the day will come when the struggle will be over. We will be replaced with a perfect body, perfect mind, perfect health, with perfect life. So let us do more gospeling instead of gossiping in, uh, with each other in, uh, in this year ahead. When discouragement sets in, when struggles, when persecution walks in on us, when our eyes, our spiritual eyes grow dim, that we encourage each other to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Now finally, the third uh, call for us, an exaltation, is found in verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I'd like to suggest if you look at the words, the word consider is not a passive word to say, well, let's think about it over lunch or over kind of coffee. The word consider here is actually a very proactive word. It's an action word that means let us resolve, let us resolve to find ways to encourage and spur one another on. Let us resolve to find ways to spur one another on, to love that's expressed through good deeds. Now, before I look at how we can spur one another on, I'd like to just briefly mention why we need to spur one another. We have already heard a few, but I just want to build on this for us. Why do we need to spur one another on? Because, you know what? The world, the evil one, the sinfulness in our hearts often tempt us to grow cold towards God. Why do we need to spur one another on? Because it's so easy to lose heart when difficulties come in. That we need another brother or sister to whisper truth into our ears to build us up. And by God's grace that we will do that to them. Even your leaders at times. Why do we need to spur one another on? Because it's easy, so easy to be tempted to kind of let go of our hope that we profess, to grab promises that sin and lust and career, relationship, money, all kinds of things offer us. We kind of, our hands are full, we kind of, okay, let's just let go a little bit and hold something. And after a while, you start to lose your grip on what you have hoped for. In fact, verse 25, read this. Let me read to us verse 25. It says, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encourage one another. Why do we need to spur one another on? Because some have already grown cold. And some have already stopped meeting, even as the day approaches. They're starting to all have turned away. Let me ask and carry on. Why do we need to spur one another on? Because the day is approaching. How soon is the day approaching? Some people say it's been 2,000 years that Jesus has not returned. You know what? It doesn't matter whether it's 2,000 or 10,000. How long do we leave? You know, for the average age here beside the kids, maximum we are going to have is another 60 years. Max. Okay, some of you, maybe a bit more. <laughs> That's the max, right? 
whether Jesus comes in within 60 years or we're going to meet him in 60 years, 60 years is a very short time, but the implication of eternity is a very long time. So we need to spur one another on because what we have is a very short time. The day is approaching. Now I can go on with more reasons, but let me just have one more reason and then I'll look at how we can do that together. Why do we need to spur one another on? Because we are all on this journey together on this side of life. The Christians in the past, they've all died. The Christians in the future, they're not born. Right? What you have is what you see around you. What you have are the Christians in this generation who can encourage and spur you on. The day can write books, you can read them. The future one, you can write books for them. But um, it is the Christians that are physically with us in this generation that can spur us on. We are on this journey together. Whether we have just come back from Australia, whether we have come back from UK, whether we have been here all our lives, when we are with each other, this is the people that God has given us. Now, let's look at how we actually can apply this in BTPC at 4pm as well as our own life in 2017. I've got three ways for us to actually practically spur one another on. I'll just give us three. The first one comes from verse 25. We need and we can spur one another on by meeting together regularly. We can spur one another on by meeting together regularly. You know, we can, of course, we can WhatsApp, we can email, we can even write a book for someone to encourage the other person. But you know what? All this means, all this means are just additional ways to encourage people that you already have a relationship with. Let me say that again. WhatsApp, email, writing stuff, they are only additional ways to spur and encourage people you already have a relationship with. You're not going to have a strange message from somebody with, you don't even have the name there and say, ah, the Lord bless you, I keep you, you know, the Lord, will... who's this? It delete. It only works when you have a relationship with that person. The usual and basic way of spurring one another, God provided, is actually regularly meeting up. And there are good reasons why God provides local churches uh, or local gatherings for us. You know, we, we hear of Christians who are persecuted, who are kind of alone, who are in prison and cannot have fellowship. You know what I call that? That's called suffering. Why? Because they are being deprived from singing, from reading, from hearing, from sharing, from encouraging other Christians. They are deprived of having another brother or sister of hope who sits with them at grievous moments and painful moments. They are deprived of a brother and sister of Christ, in Christ who walks with them when it's too difficult to walk. And the same happens for us. When we are not with Christians, it's called suffering in the sense that we are deprived of what God has given us. It should be something that be imposed on us as a persecution and it's not self-inflicted by not meeting with others. So we spur one another on by meeting with fellow Christians regularly. That's the first one. The second one is we spur one another on by serving one another in Christian gathering. You know what's the common thing? Consumerism, right? What, what does consumerism does to you? What do you do when you go to a restaurant or you go to a food court? You go there, well, of course, they have good food, but what you do is you pay money so that someone cooks for you and someone washes for you. 
And the same thing it does when you go for holiday or kind of staycation, right? You go there, you pay money so that someone will fold your bed for you instead of you fold your own. Uh, that's consumerism and that's what the world does, right? You pay money and someone serves you. But it doesn't work in God's economy. Among God's people, what they do is they give money so that more people will hear the gospel and then they come in and get their hands dirty by serving the others because the other person is seen to be more important than that. It's kind of God's economy in the heaven and that's why God comes down to serve unworthy people. But that's how we are being spurred on to love when the world says, take care of yourself. This is the way where we encourage each other to do good deeds when the world says, do good only if it benefits you. So the first one is we need to gather regularly to meet up. Second one is we spur and encourage each other by serving each other uh, together. And I pray that this will be the same for us. I think for here in BTPC uh, at 4 p.m., it's not prominent kind of consumerism. We're all kind of small and we try to serve each other. But I think it's a timely moment for us to say it now so that you'll not happen that when we get comfortable, we become consumers uh, because that's what we do. Or what's, that's the way that the world works in the rest of the week. But to spur one another on, we do the opposite. We look at Christ and we do what He does. Let me bring the last way that we can encourage and spur one another on. And it's this, that we speak God's word to each other. We speak God's word to each other. You know, Christians' way of encouraging it's not the same as the way the world's encouragement comes in. The world's way is doing this, right? You pat my back, I pat your back. Great job, B1. You too, B2. It's kind of that kind of, you flatter me so that I flatter you kind of thing. Or perhaps someone comes in and say, Andrew is, no, Andrew Wong, it's kind of in a bit, stage four, cancer. Andrew, it's going to be alright. But it may not be alright, it might be dead tomorrow. Encouragement from Christian perspective is not idea of it's not kind of flattering each other, it's not it's gonna be alright, it's gonna be alright. It's not. Encouragement of a Christian to spur one out to love and good is to be able to speak a truth that will hold regardless of situation. In a financial term is I'll speak a truth to you that you can cash out. That is what Christian encouragement and spurring comes about. That is what we are called to do. And there are three ways that we do it in our speaking forth. And the last one is what I really want to encourage us to do in 2017. There are three ways that we encourage each other with words. The first one is public proclamation. Hopefully you have a, a preacher or a teacher who study God's word carefully and try to explain it. Uh, and we, we get encouraged to go on because of truth. But it's kind of a bit of a monologue. So one person speaks, everyone listens. And this is a public proclamation of God's word. It's great. It's needed. It's, it's kind of monologue. Second is, uh, it's kind of semi-public, semi-private. You have, uh, what do you call, maybe small groups. A small group of people come and study God's word. The facilitator will prepare some questions. Hopefully that engages so that we, we can talk. That's great because that is kind of a bit more multi-long. But then in the midst of that, uh, it's goodness. There will be people who may not speak for weeks or months, or may not share, because the group is, is, is big. But it's good, you see, most people will, or many people will, but not everyone do. Uh, so there's public proclamation, which we need. There's kind of multi-dialogue uh, kind of 
proclamation which we need. The third one, I call it the private proclamation. That's when a Christian, two or three, or even with a mix of Christian and non-Christian, where they sit down and actually look at God's Word and they speak the Gospel and speak God's Word to each other. That's what we call kind of one-to-one Bible reading where we really get our hands with the Bible and use the Bible to kind of build each other's uh, lives up and engage with each other's life. That's where we kind of can pray specifically to for one another that sometimes in a larger group it just uh, doesn't work because it's too personal. It's also where you start to notice that you are growing to actually know how to read God's Word. You also start to grow and see that you actually learn how to kind of gospel to each other's life, that it may grow. Or to use today's passage to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So I'm very excited. One to one, I hope is going to be one of the key things in 2017 that uh, we are hoping to do for in BTPC or with each other. I pray that at 4 p.m., many of us will be keen to, to write on it and to learn more about how to read the Bible with another person. So it's not difficult to learn, but it would be good uh, that we can engage this. So if you are keen to come, join us at our, at our EFS at 3 p.m., 15 January. Or if you are keen, but you're not sure, you can just put it on your command notes and say that, hey, Andrew, I'd like to know more about this. And uh, we will, um, I would love to talk to you about it. So I want to just kind of close off this whole uh, short passage, but full of uh, application passage for us that as we bravely move forward into 2017, I think it's important for us to look back, look at what Jesus has secured for us, and access to God, and advocate on behalf of us. So that with this, and knowing the motiva- that as our motivation, we look forward and we draw near to God. And as we hold on to our f- hope, unswervingly because it can be cashed out and that we continue to spur one another on with all that we have mentioned to Christ come and receive those who belong to Him. And for those who may not have been a Christian at the moment but this is something that you would like to explore I think speak to Nick because he's going to um, run or he's going to tell us about Christianity Explored as well where we can learn to know who is this Jesus um, I think in Christmas we said three things that's really helpful if you're not yet a Christian. Hear about it, investigate it, and if it strikes to you that it is true, believe it, grab it, because that's for us while there is still time. So let me close this time in prayer. Dear Father, thank you for what Jesus had done for us. Thank you for giving us access to you, that we can actually talk to you as a child to a father. We know that you hear us because Jesus, our advocate, is now sitting at your right hand speaking on our behalf. So Father, as we draw near to you with a sincere heart and with full assurance, draw near to us. As we hold unswervingly to our professed hope, hold on to us. As we spur one another on to love and good deeds, let your Spirit strengthen us so that your glory may be seen in this world and that we may rejoice as our hope is fulfilled when Christ returns to us or when we come back to you. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.